Good morning, afternoon, or evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the B-plus show, where we strive to be good enough. My name is Jeremy. I am a high school history teacher in the Southeast. And my name is John. I teach music to middle schoolers in the Southeast. And we are missing the uh, third axis of our triumvirate today, uh, Mr. Corey. He is currently writing a grant which is significantly more important than the things that we do. So, um, but that's okay. Uh, Anyway, uh, you know, John, I would be willing to bet that most people who try to make podcasts do not record a second episode. Yeah, there was a a brief terror this morning when I was like, when we were trying to get together and all of our technical difficulties started rearing their ugly head. And I'm like, oh, no, I hope we don't become just the next in the line of infinite podcasts that do one episode. And that's Mm -hmm. it. Um, So congratulations. Part two. We did, in fact, begin recording a second episode. (laughs) Now, I cannot predict the future. And it's quite possible that midway through this, uh. I don't know. Maybe I'll just keel over and die, oh, sh- and that'll be our legacy. Um, I'm on wood here. Yeah, <laughs> the sad um, podcast that had one episode <laughs> and then started a second episode in which one of the podcasters died on air, and that was you know, the end of the show. You know, I bet we'd get in like a local newspaper or something. So <laughs> maybe would- somewhere, take it to the front page of Reddit. One of their podcasters died on air, and they still only got five <laughs> views. <laughs> I could see it. Well, how's your week been, John? Or been, how's your past two weeks been, really? It's yeah. been a couple of weeks since we talked. We're aiming for this bi-weekly thing, which is the, the bi-weekly meaning every two weeks instead of twice every week. It's stupid that they both mean the same thing um, or that that word means two different things. English but, is yeah. dumb. For so many reasons, but past two weeks have been good. We're uh, we're starting to get back in the swing of things and really approach normalcy, I suppose. Um, we're getting our footing on the school year, and that's all I can ask for right now. Mm, that the choice. Uh, things have been okay. Um, the past couple of weeks have been interesting. Um, COVID numbers, which were kind of one of the big subjects of our first episode, are radically reduced in our district, which is really awesome. Good. And like you said, uh, it feels like we are getting back to a sense of normalcy. Now, will that stay or will it go now? Um, I do not know. Um, that was a nice little clash reference for those of you who are punk fans. Although should I think I everybody knows. Go? Yeah, I think everybody knows that song, though. I uh, hope um, so. Especially hope if you've so. seen Stranger Things. Yeah, but I feel like I've got to point out that's not the Clash's best song, in my opinion, because Rock the Casbah exists. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, definitely not a music podcast. Although, honestly, it could be given yeah. the fact that John is literally a music teacher and I literally know nothing about music. There's something there. There's something there. Corey anyway. knows. Um, yeah, Corey knows all sorts of really intricate and niche musical things. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, I, you know, leads to one of my stories from the last couple of weeks, if uh, I can diverge into a teacher story at the moment. But um, yeah, go right ahead. I do this project with my sixth graders where they have to pick a style of music and then investigate that style of music. 
and then find out, okay, what time period is a style of music from? What places of the world is it popular? What instruments does it use? What does it sound like? Who are the famous musicians that make it, et cetera? And a lot of kids go with country, hip hop, what have you. Um, but as we're scrolling through the list of musical styles, we scroll past a style called Midwest emo, which is like emo music that is made by bands from the Midwest that I guess more or less has a Midwest temperament, you know, mm -hmm. a sort of, I guess, I don't, the, the South is sort of known for their hospitality, but the Midwest is probably tied for first. Um, mm -hmm. But um, they freaked out over it because I paused and I looked at it. And I'm like, Midwest emo, what is this? And then the kids mm -hmm. start freaking out. Oh my gosh, that sounds so silly. That's so weird. What the heck is that supposed to mean? Um, and they kept asking me to play a sample of it so we could hear what it sounds like. And I have this, I have this very, very hard and fast rule where I do not play any song or video or movie or anything in my class that I have not previewed first. Um, Wise. Yes. And yes, exactly. Uh, I'm not going to get in trouble over playing a video that looks like it's going to be innocent only to have some random youtuber drop the f word in the middle of the video or something mm -hmm. we're just going to stay away from that um and they kept asking me for like two or three weeks um mm. for, you know when are you going to listen to midwest emo when are you going to pick a song that you can play for us we really want to hear what it sounds like because for some reason they were really excited about it um and then out of the blue Corey, our our third um dearly departed member of the podcast today um, just starts sending me these songs and he's like listen to this song it's got all these weird time signature changes and all these weird meters and everything and then there's a guitar solo this is why i listen to midwest emo and i'm like you've got to be kidding me <laughs> because i mean of course out of the three of us Corey would be the one that that has listened to midwest emo and knows about it and how it works so i was like while you're sending yeah. me songs, can you find one that's totally school appropriate? Because for some odd reason, my kids are dying to listen to this. Did they finally get to hear it? Oh, yes, they did. Yeah, we listened to okay. it on the last on the on the last day of the nine weeks. And mm -hmm. it's 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 very if you can imagine in the in true Midwest style, it's very polite and well-mannered for emo music. Um <laughs> <laughs> and it's um yeah so it started playing it's got it's just it's got really really nice guitar playing and drum playing mm -hmm. and everything it's very refined for emo music it's just sort of got that sort of emo sentiment expressed mm. through more politely midwestern rock stylings i'm trying um, i'm trying to think of an emo song i know and how it would translate to a midwestern styling and yeah. all I've got is is the lyrics crawling in my skin in in, in my head because I was <laughs> never an emo kid. Well, um, one of my um kids pointed out that um I guess some of the members of Fall Out Boy are from Chicago, which is technically yeah. in the Midwest. But yeah. they're like, oh, Fall Out Boy is a Midwest emo band. And I'm like, no, not anymore. No. At the very least, um, they they've kind of sailed into the pop sunset, I guess. Um, there you go. Well, anyways, um, what about you? Well, um, I did have a couple of other things I wanted to talk about in terms of my week, if that's okay. Uh, if we can back up, uh, I, as of six days ago, am tenured, which is very exciting. Um, my yeah. boy, 
<laughs> um, this is where I point out I'm older than John. But anyway, um, by what, a year and three months, something like that? Anyway, that doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, so uh, it was nice uh, to have that added layer of job security, which we should talk about sometime as to whether that's a good thing, a bad thing, or just kind of a thing that exists within our industry, because it's not native to, to teaching. It's native to academia. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's an excellent discussion to be had there along the lines of uh, the role of unions and stuff like that. I'm sure that you heard horror stories about teachers unions being too powerful as much as I did uh, when we were both in school. Uh, anyway, beyond that, um, I am currently on fall break, which means that I am not doing anything for the next week, which I am extraordinarily excited about. Um, I, I think that anybody who teaches and I honestly think it extends to industries where you deal with, hmm, how do I want to put this? So I think, and John, tell me if this it does not echo your own experience. I would say that teaching is one of the most tiring professions that exists. The reason being, we are heavily emotionally invested in our jobs and in the people we interact with. And so we take on a lot of their emotional baggage. Um, I mean, I imagine you are much like me in that you have a, the kind of relationship with your kids where sometimes they tell you about stuff that's going on that is not great in their lives. And we take that home with us, and that's hard. Um, that's really hard. Uh, that, that might be one of the most difficult parts of our job and learning how to balance being emotionally available while remaining distant enough to, to take care of yourself is a balance I'm still working on. But one way or another, having some time off to uh, recharge, to not have to worry about what my kids are dealing with, and to, uh, you know, spend some time with the uh, with my hobbies, with the people I care about and not have to worry so much about the school schedule. It's good for me. It's good for everybody, I think. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you were telling me you don't actually have a fall break, right? That's correct. Um, and this is actually sort of segueing into the topic I wanted to sort of talk about today. Um, we don't have a, an, an official fall break, but we do have this, we have Friday off. Well, we had Friday uh, as a teacher work day, which still in, its, in and of itself sort of feels like a, a day off, um, especially if you're fortunate enough to get the sort of teacher work day that I received on Friday, which was literally take today to clean up your grade book, uh, get it ready to post for the nine weeks. Um, get organized and do some planning for the second quarter, which I can't even tell you how much I appreciated. It's like, as someone who actually enjoys planning and who enjoys having time to keep his room organized and cleaned, I have that chance to set up, to prepare myself, prepare my room. Like, man, that was a godsend. Um, and then we have, we have Monday off as well. Um, so we got a four day weekend. Um, and which 
part of part of which was spent doing school activities. Friday afternoon, we had a, a football game. Saturday, uh, we had a competition. So like, in addition to everything you've already talked about, um, teaching is one of those professions um, that almost demands that you bring your work home with you, you know, not, not the kids, um, of course, but like, like you said, their, your, their baggage, it weighs on your mind because you have to be emotionally invested in your classroom. Um, and if you spend all day teaching and then having meetings and doing planning, there's never enough time during the school day to do what you have to do to do the job. So you know, work-life balance is a whole topic I had in mind for another episode. Mm. Um, but, you know, to suffice it to say that it's, it's a very difficult balance to strike for teachers. Mm. So, yeah. And, and I think it's a difficult balance for our students as well. Um, now we work with different populations. Uh, John, you teach what, eight through five, eight uh, through six, six, six through eight. Okay. Um, I teach mostly juniors and seniors in high school, very different population, obviously, but my kids have jobs and sports and clubs and time is very much at a premium for them, especially my kids who are, you know, extremely well-rounded academic superstars who are taking my AP classes and, you know, just due to the nature of the course, I have to assign a couple of hours of homework every couple of days. And for them, keeping up with everything is difficult too. And before we, before we segue into our topic, I, I know that we, we keep delaying it. I'd like to tell a, a little story. Um, and the story is listed on our, uh, on our episode guide as snack time. So, um, <laughs> This requires a little bit of background about myself. Um, I keep reptiles. Um, I love animals, always have. Grew up watching Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter and animal planet. And uh, although I was horribly allergic to everything with fur, I was uh, very, um, I always felt a deep connection to animals. Um, I think that had my allergies not proven so problematic and had my life turned out rather differently, I could have ended up in the veterinary field. Um, and several other people have commented that, but, um, you know, within the past few years, I have become a reptile keeper, um, which is one of my main hobbies outside of, you know, the usual. Um, so I've got a couple of lizards, I've got three snakes, um, and, one of the most incredible things that I've gotten to do as a teacher is bring some of those animals into the classroom and turn my, you know, AP history class into a hands-on class on animals. And more specifically on animals who people do not like, right? They're snakes, they're lizards. People are weirded out by them. Um, this Friday, I, it was the last day of the quarter. Nothing was going to happen. Um, I, I had not planned to do anything with my kids because they'd just taken a huge test for me. So I just brought in two of my snakes and one of my lizards, and my kids just got to, inter got to interact with them all day. And, you know, there was something very special to me at the end of the day when a student told me, uh, Mr. Jeremy, um, 
I used to be afraid of snakes, but now I want one. And that was a really cool moment for me. Um, and it, it helps, I suppose, to cement my belief that education is not just about, you know, drilling intelligence and knowledge and facts into these kids' heads. There's, there's more to it. It's a holistic discipline, right? We're teaching kids about themselves, about the world, about how they interact with it. And I hope that maybe in some small way, my uh, helping this one student, and there's a few others um, who've said similar things to me, uh, overcome their phobia of, of these animals might inspire them to, you know, turn and face the strange in the words of David Bowie, um, and maybe reconsider some of their preconceived notions. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that was my story. So that's, that's really nice. That's really sweet. Um, because mm -hmm. absolutely, you know, it's about helping kids find their way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, well, in a, in a sense, uh, you know, education is about helping children overcome their fears of the world and, mm -hmm. um, you know, giving them the tools, let me put it this way, giving them the tools to not be afraid of what's out there. Mm -hmm. and Very much so. I, I absolutely agree with you that it is more of a holistic experience. And for, I mean, for these kids, they, their day is at school. School is mm -hmm. for them what work is for us. You know, yeah. um, it's, it, it, Home, uh, school has the opportunity to be a home away from home and I think that that's what a lot of people miss when they box up education and package it up into neat little portions um, labeled a b c and d and then you know send the kids into a room with bad lighting and concrete brick walls for two hours to start just bubbling things in um I don't know. We're just getting, we're getting a little philosophical here and a little, well, that's you know, okay. Um, perhaps I, mushier I, than <laughs> intended, but you know, school I, is a home away from home and we need to make it feel like that to these kids because we don't, we don't want their home away from home for however many years of their life to be miserable. Yeah. So. Well, I think that you and I would both say that we are emotional people. And I think that that is kind of important, right? Yeah. is is being empathetic is being emotional is being sympathetic to the needs of your kids and that kind of dovetails nicely into our topic for this episode which john suggested and i think is a great concept and it's something i've honestly been thinking about independently for like six years so john why don't you introduce our topic today all right our topic today is the concept of the four-day school week and a lot of places do it differently, but more and more states, uh, counties, districts, uh, countries are making the switch, not just to four-day school weeks, but also four-day work weeks in the corporate world um, and switching to this more four-day model of how we do things. And there's a lot of different approaches to it. Um, the uh, article that I'm looking at today, I actually, I looked, I, I thought about this this past week because like we were talking, I had teacher work day on Friday and I cannot tell you how good it felt to use that day to set myself up and my students for success in the coming weeks. I felt like I got so much done. Um, and a lot of these districts are going 
to a four-day school week model, which um, involves a, maybe a, another hour or two per school day, Monday through Thursday. But then Friday, um, the kids are at home. The kids are doing projects on their own at home. Maybe there's some, maybe some extracurricular stuff. Um, but a lot of a lot of these four-day school weeks involve a fifth day for teachers, whether it's Monday or Friday, that they are spending putting time into prep work, into planning. Um, into working in their rooms, um, going towards, you know, building extracurricular experiences. The teachers are still working on that fifth day, but um, it's, it's all going it back into the classroom. You know, um, it's, it's imagine having uh, four days of class and then a fifth day of the week. It's a teacher work day every week. And I felt so empowered after that day on Friday that I was like this I feel like my kids and me myself I feel like we would all be uh, really well off if we had these kinds of opportunities more often that's not some people would say oh yeah I love that having less you know having getting to spend less time with the kids every week sign me up but I I legitimately very sincerely felt this I feel so much more empowered to do a better job in my classroom because I had this day to work on planning and preparing. And so I just, it, it got me really intrigued with the potentials out there with the models for four day school weeks um, where, with where the current sort of research into it lies uh, because for something, it's such a huge societal shift like this, especially in these countries that are shifting to four day work weeks in the business world. Um, you know, there's a lot of research going on and the jury is still out. The verdict hasn't come in yet on whether it's truly beneficial or not. Um, and it, it seems to be that way for education as well. Uh, you know, the, the article I'm looking at is in um, Education Week, which, um, you know, you can read up on yourself. Uh, it's always good to check your sources, but this seems to be, you know, a fairly reliable, um, uh, what's the word you want to use? Um, scholarly source yeah um so and, uh, what's the name of the article john uh the article is four day school weeks new research examines the benefits and drawbacks uh written by uh steven sachuk i will put a link to the article in the description of the episode um i highly recommend it because it's basically doing a quick um doing a quick roll roll call on where the uh, what, where the consensus lies at the moment about the four day school week, and even better, this just came out three or four days ago, so it's really recent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I echo a lot of your sentiments in terms of um, it's an interesting idea, but it's also a very much a paradigm shift, and education is by its nature somewhat. It's kind of weird in some ways, right? Education is a very conservative institution in a lot of different ways in terms of you have to take these classes and this is how we structure grades and this is how we do testing and here is how a teacher is evaluated. But also, it's a very progressive institution in a lot of ways, right? Teachers, are all, teachers administrators, counties are always looking for new ways of doing things in order to maximize student learning. And this particular idea of a four-day school week kind of challenges both of those things 
it challenges one of the most conservative social, you know, organizing principles in American society, the five day work week. And it's also a very progressive idea, but is it too progressive, right? Is it too much of a shift? Um, and some of the research that this article brings up very much gave me some food for thought on that. Um, I, I, I think that the big takeaway for me is that studies seem to suggest now um, that one of the outcomes of shifting to this four-day weekend is something that I would not have expected, and that is a long-term slight decrease in student learning. Yes. Um, I did not expect that at all. I, I, yeah, I would frankly assume that if, you know, in the business world, my understanding is that four day weeks lead to increased productivity. Um, I am sure that there is a very good reason why student learning may suffer in the long term because of this. I'll also point out that the range that was given by the study that kind of came up with this, it was an extraordinary range of, of potential outcomes, uh, ranging from, what was it, uh, point, let, let me find it specifically. Um, hmm. Sorry, I, th I think this set of numbers is important, so you'll forgive me for for uh the declines were on the order of between 0.5 to 0.15 of a standard deviation lower after three years and around 0.2 of a standard deviation after eight years is that what there you're we go for? yes that's exactly it now i'm no statistician um nor am i an educational policy maker nor am i you know a, an administrator but this brings up an interesting question which is if we know that a four-day work, uh, four-day school week negatively impacts student learning in the very long term, but we also know that it has some positive effects on their growth as human beings and their mental health. Is that worth making that change? Now, I think, John, that you and I would probably given the discussion we had earlier about holistic education, say yes. Um, but again, we're not policymakers, right? Yeah. Um, and there's, um, there's one, there, there are a few things that stood out to me. The thing that stood out to me the most, just like, just like you found was the, the point that it feels to, that it, that it led to a decrease in, um, you know, achievement, which is interesting, um, which I have some more thoughts about that, but, uh, one of the sentences that really punched me in the gut, it which speaks exactly to what we're talking about right here is this paragraph in the middle that asks, is the point of schooling just to raise achievement? Are there other civic benefits that accrue from these arrangements, like helping to instill in students a sense of responsibility through jobs or other duties, which they now would have more time for, just like you were speaking earlier about your high school students needing jobs? Um, just how should these competing interests be weighed? Um, and there's a whole list of some of the, of, of the responses of the results, uh, it, the variety of results that show up here um, in the middle of the article. 
And there are a couple of things that uh, you know really stood out. And I'd like to read a couple of these bullet points here. Um, just for anybody that's interested in what some of the results have been of some of this experimentation. Uh, students in the four-day week spent significantly more time on school sports and on chores than, did, than they did in five-day weeks. Four-day secondary students also spent more time on homework, at jobs, at school activities, and on hobbies than their counterparts. You talked about hobbies earlier today, which I will, again, a topic for another time, but really quickly, I cannot speak you know, I could not speak more highly to the importance of having hobbies in one's life. Um, I think that having hobbies is what made being on lockdown, being on quarantine during the pandemic easier on me than it did on some of my, on some of my friends. Um, uh, let's see, most students, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the four-day school week did not appear to affect student absenteeism, okay? or result in more food insecurity, which is a good plus uh, and another topic for another time. Mm -hmm. uh, it did seem to change some sleep patterns with four day elementary students reporting that they got more sleep and four day secondary students saying that they felt much less tired than their counterparts in five day systems. And believe it or not, that is probably the point that hit me the second or third hardest because I have, I teach 11 year olds who take melatonin gummies regularly to help them fall asleep and you know i don't think that that's school's fault as much as it is the the, the dopamine addiction that we get to our devices um some of these kids i had a kid fall asleep in my in my first period class once a sixth grader um who is uh, obsessed with her chromebook and she watches youtube all day as much as she can who's told me that she fell asleep she, uh, i asked her what time did you go to sleep last night and she said 6 a.m School starts at 8 a.m. What are you doing? You know, yeah. like these kids from eight, from age 11 are taking melatonin to help them go to sleep because they haven't been taught or haven't learned or have, do, thanks to our devices, been chemically prevented from developing normal, regular sleeping pa patterns. So the fact that this model helps students from elementary to secondary levels get better sleep like that alone, I'm sold. Please mm -hmm. bring it on. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. Uh, I have, I, I'm fortunate again in that I teach AP students. So they, they tend to have, you know, they tend to be more responsible, more self-aware and better able to, and, and they tend to have better parental support. So they tend to have less issues with this, but I've still got kids who fall asleep in class. And I've got kids who slam down energy drinks multiple times a day. Yes. And that's not healthy. We have vending machines at the school for these energy drinks, right? Yeah. That's kind of insane to me. I mean, this is, these things are probably worse for you than, than coffee or tea or any other caffeine thing you want to use, right? Um, but they are just endemic to my school system. And I have to imagine that is not a local problem in my district. I have to imagine that's a national problem. So, no, I, I totally agree with you. Um, it's something that uh, has I, I've seen a couple of studies and a couple of different ideas suggested on how to deal with that. And again, we, we could make an entire episode about this, but um, people have talked about, you know, pushing the school day back 
later into the day so that it starts lighter and ends lighter. That's another potential way to deal with this. But uh, the four-day school week would also work. Um, so that brings me up to, I suppose, um, an interesting question here, which is how in the heck do we, people who see very clear benefits to this sort of thing, convince policymakers and other stakeholders that it is worth the loss of uh, student learning that occurs over the long term here. And I think that, frankly, if you're dealing with people who are not and have never been in the classroom and who are not and have never been teachers, I don't know that you can win that fight. Because if you're talking to politicians, they care about the numbers, right? Um, you know, for better or for worse, the federal government ties school funding with scores, with test scores. Um, at least at my state. I, I think that's a national thing, right? Something I'm not going like crazy that. here. I, yeah. I, I... Okay. Probably. Um, again, neither of us are policymakers. So <laughs> you'll forgive us if we... Uh, you know, say something that's inaccurate in that regard. Um, but um, I, I don't know that in districts that are really concerned about increasing students' performance, that that is something that we can sell, right? That's no matter true. no matter how much better the the actual like total outcomes are for the students. The fact of the matter is that, you know, there's some learning loss. And that is super hard because we are in a field that, you know, as politicians and politics and policies aside, um, even, you know, very, very well-meaning education professionals who are in the trenches think we've become a data-obsessed field. And that is super important because data helps us measure students' growth and it helps us uh, test the benefits of things like this. It helps us test the benefits of this curriculum versus that curriculum about you know this style versus that style. Data is very helpful um, and it plays a very important role in education today. Um, but there's also, I think, a very unhealthy obsession over it and that I think has, has mechanized the education experience um, to a degree that there is no other option but for students to get burnt out and for students to hate learning. Um, it, you know, again, standardized testing is a whole other nutshell mm -hmm. that we're not even going to crack today because it's, it's it's just so much. Yeah, but like yeah. it's the difficulty that I think you're sensing is that in a field that is so obsessed with growth and with the numbers um are we fighting a losing battle trying to argue for something that has shown this you know 0.5 point whatever whatever the numbers were this general overall however slight decrease in student achievement over time um my question for all of these studies for people listening uh, would be, I, I'm curious to know what the numbers say about the achievement gap between those students. You know, that, okay, overall achievement, 
that, you know, what does that even mean? There's like every student, every child, every school, every district is different. How can you pick one number to represent all learning and all goals for all students? You know, even if that number shows a little bit of a dip, um, I'd be really interested to see how this four day model uh, helps shrink the achievement gap between students that we're seeing grow larger and larger and larger. Um, and I'd also, you know, just ask people to consider, you know, if we continuously are, uh, are pushing different curriculum um, earlier and earlier and earlier, you know, it feels like every five to 10 years, another grade level earlier, they start doing algebra, another grade level earlier, they start reading 1984. When I was in high, when I was in school, we read 1984 in 10th grade, but I've met sixth graders that are reading 1984 for class. You know, How? if we, if we keep bumping <laughs> that higher and higher and higher, um, how valuable does that statistic of diminished achievement actually, what is it actually, what is being lost there? What is potentially being gained in other numbers and other data and statistics that we haven't, you know, looked at? Um, and again, what are, what are some of the immeasurable things that, you know, the well-being of our nation, like that comes from students who enjoy school more who um, are put in classrooms where teachers are able to prepare them for better quality lessons rather than quantity lessons. You know, what, what is gained? Everything that we've been talking about, sleep, yeah. well-being, mental health, mm -hmm. love for learning. Yeah, no, I, I agree on all counts. Um, here's another question. If we recognize that this model does, in fact, lead to a learning loss, and again, we can go into whether or not that's acceptable or not, I think that one thing we could all agree on is how in this system would we minimize that? Um, and I think that's an excellent question, and it all comes down to execution. Um, if your district decided to do a four-day school week, what is the best way to do it? Um, this article talks about uh, Mondays and Fridays being taken off. Uh, I'm going to throw another idea onto the fire. What about Wednesdays? What if you had a midweek break? I, I could see some benefits to that where you don't have, uh, you could probably attribute some of the learning loss to, to just having a three-day weekend every week where students go too long without being exposed to academic material. Whereas if you say, all right, we're going to cut the school week in half and take Wednesdays off, they only go, um, they have one day without new, new content and then they come back uh, and then they've got the weekends, which they already have. Right. Um, and I think students and I think just people in general benefit more from being exposed multiple times over a short period than in being exposed to content, you know, for a longer period, and then you have a longer break. But that's just kind of my initial thought on this. John? Yeah. I mean, that's another great idea. Uh, can we give them two days? Can we introduce a topic for two days? give them Wednesday to rest, to recoup, to let it process, to give them maybe something that they can work on at home. 
homework and modern homework policies is another discussion. And I love that this episode has been creating a laundry list, a shopping list of future episodes. Yeah, we uh, might have to go back through this and just listen, <laughs> write down all the topics. Yeah. But, um, you know, giving them that time to process, giving them the, a day to uh, recuperate and rest, to break up the monotony, to counter the, um, the, the maybe the attrition over the three-day weekend. Um, you know, the Wednesdays are also an option. And again, it's a field that it's, it's, it's something that has a very new and that the research is still very young about. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's sort of like, I'm, I promise not to be too curmudgeonly about devices and smartphones and social media on the podcast because I can do it for hours, but, um, it, that is a, those are all things, social media, et cetera, where we are learning the effects of it while it's happening. Just like COVID, we were learning yeah. about the effects of it. We're researching it. We're laying down the tracks as the train is in motion. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things as well. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, something that you said that I was just thinking about the other day, I saw a question about which curriculum should I use on a teacher group on Facebook? It's, it, yeah, it matters, but no single option, no single model, no single curriculum matters more than how it's executed um, by a school that is empowered to do a quality job delivering it to their students. Um, And we have to accept, you know, we have to accept the truth that there are some things that are more important at the end of the days, at the end of the day, than um, what specific number these kids got from sitting down at a computer once every three or four weeks and clicking through a bunch of questions. It's complicated. And if you, if, yeah. if you are if by any chance, if you are listening to this and you are an educator, you understand why it's so complicated. If you're, if you're listening to this and you are not an educator, you know, hopefully your head is spinning a little bit and you can understand why our heads are spinning all of the time. And if you happen to be listening to this and you're an educator in a district or a state that has a four day school week, we would genuinely love to hear about your experiences because uh, another one of the results of the study is that the people who are in it really like it. And there's something to be said for that as well, right? Yeah. Um, regardless of the data collected, if it, 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 it's something that teachers and students, and I, I don't know if it said anything specific about parents, but stakeholder, stakeholders all across the board like this system, right? Yeah. Um, what did it say? It said 69% of parents and 85% of students um, preferred the four-day model. Mm-hmm. Which the parent number was especially surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, given during the pandemic, um, how many parents came out of the woodwork and ended up protesting um, virtual schooling by virtue of the fact that they, they did not have the capacity to deal with keeping their kids at home. Um, the fact that we just went through all of that makes the fact that almost 70% of parents preferred a four-day model in which kids had one extra day to spend at home. That, that speaks volumes to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if it were planned well in advance, if it were authorized and parents and again, all stakeholders were told in advance that this is how it was going to be done. 
I think there'd be a lot less blowback on that front because in my district, at least, a lot of those parent protests were because decisions were being made kind of at the last minute. And yes. I, I will go to bat for our district there. They were making those decisions on a day-by-day basis because the situation was changing in a day-by-day basis. But the grievance that, you know, the, the grievance is fair, right? Uh, saying, hey, I don't have time to, to figure out what to do with my kids. That's totally fair. But if it's planned in advance, if it's executed well, and if it's kept consistent, then I think it could work. I genuinely do. Um, but um, I think we've probably rambled on about this for long enough. Uh, John, do you have any closing thoughts before yeah. we head out? I want to echo Jeremy. Um, anybody who is listening who is an educator in a school with a four-day week, um, a parent, a student, anybody who is a stakeholder in a, in a district or a school with a four-day school week, please, please, please uh, leave some comments explaining your experience with it because at the end of the day, uh, the experience of real people who are living it um, should be more important than you know, a single number that has been chosen arbitrarily to represent the entire experience of millions of people and to boil it down to a single number. So um, please, you can, you can comment below. You can also email us at thebplusshow at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-B-P-L-U-S-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. Uh, We would love to hear your experiences and maybe even share some of your experiences with our listeners who are also interested in this topic as we are. So, um, indeed, please, Uh, John, what's uh, your week looking like in education or just in general? (sighs) Well, this week in education is the start of our second quarter. It's a new Mm. beginning and I feel empowered to go and do better at it because of the day I had off on Friday. So I personally, I know that's really vague, really broad, but that's all I can think about right now is no, no. How, I, I, how much better prepared I am to mm-hmm. give these kids a quality week of learning uh, now that I've had a day to, you know, to, to not just to catch up, but to get ahead because so much, I think a lot of teachers that are listening would, would connect with this. I think a lot of times teaching feels like treading water. And um, the only, eventually after treading water for so long, you can't help but drown. It's sort of sink mm-hmm. or swim. So yep. um, this has allowed me to swim instead of sink. So That's awesome. I'm really happy for you. Thanks, My man. week in education doesn't exist. So I am looking forward to some well-deserved R&R. Please. But... Yes, you've earned it, Mr. Tenured. Congratulations. Yeah. Pour right. one out. And by, <laughs> by pour one, I mean a cup of coffee. Oh, always, always. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Again, we survived two episodes. Yes. So uh, very proud uh, of ourselves, um, if I may. may. Uh, And uh, hopefully next time uh, you'll join us. We'll have our third wheel back, uh, Mr. Corey. But uh, thank you for your time, guys, and have a great week. Yes, indeed. All right. Peace out.